Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? You good? Good. My name is Kevin Valentine. I'm the lead pastor here at Kensington. Um, thank you for spending part of your Sunday morning with us. We are actually starting a new series this morning called Heart Matters. We're going to be doing it this, this Sunday and the next Sunday during Baptism Sunday. And then Mother's Day is actually in two weeks. So guys, there's your warning. You, have now, you now know you can't claim ignorance anymore. Um, but I want to start out in this series called Heart Matters by talking about the difference between our hearts and our minds because there's something that happens to us. Um, how often do we um, see ourselves or other people making horrible decisions that we know are going to turn out bad? We know that it's not going to work out well, but they just go ahead and make it even though they know that it's not going to turn out well and we know that it's not going to turn out well. We all do that. We have this disconnection between our heart and our minds. Like we know that if we stick our finger in a light socket, that we're going to get shocked. But yet, how many of us still do that? Metaphorically speaking, I hope you don't actually do that. But we just kind of go, oh, that's not going to zap me. I know I just watched five people get zapped, but it won't happen to me. And we go stick our finger in the socket. Like I know that I need to eat better if I want to drop under 200 pounds of solid muscle and steel, right? Like that's what I need to do. I need to eat better. But my heart, my heart wants ice cream after 10 p.m. when everybody's in bed. My heart wants that. My mind says, no, if you do that, you'll be fat. Well, my heart responds and says, you're already fat, okay? And my mind just says, well, hey, but I know but this will make us fatter, but the heart is pressing. And so my mind actually gets tricked by my heart because my heart then says, well, let's do it tonight, but we'll start it tomorrow. We won't, right? And my mind goes, okay, deal, right? Let's eat ice cream tonight. And then the next night, the same battle happens. You know, maybe you know that dating that girl or dating that guy is not a good idea. And you know, it's probably going to end poorly, but the heart wants what the heart wants. And so you say, okay, it's like, you know, that staying up late and binge watching that Netflix show till two or 3 a.m. when you got to wake up early the next morning, just to find you, you know, but your heart wants to find out what somebody's made up story that doesn't matter how it ends, right? Like your heart really needs to know. So you give in. Why? Does our rational mind, our mind, our rational thinking lose to our heart, our passions and our desires so often? Why do we so often know what we ought to do? We know the right thing to do up here, but we give in to the not so right desires of our hearts. Why do we do that so much, even though we know it's going to probably cost us? And then the question is, well, what would happen if we could get our heart and our mind on the same page? What might happen if we could align them together? And so let me just answer that. If we could get our hearts and our minds aligned, if we could get our hearts and our minds aligned with God's help, we would experience one word, transformation. We would experience transformation. If we could get our heads and our hearts aligned to wanting the same things with God, God's help, we would experience transformation. Now, for many of us in Western society, um, our heart and our mind, um, are, are, they're two different things. There's a huge separation. This 18 inches from your heart to your head. Huge separation in, in Western society. That's why so many of us struggle. Um, it's frustrating and it, it brings destruction into our life because our heart and our head disagree. We most often follow our hearts. Well, in scripture, from a biblical perspective, they saw the whole situation differently. In fact, in the Hebrew language, one of the languages the Bible was written in, um, there was only one word for heart and mind. They didn't have two separate words. They had one word. It was the word lavav, the word lavav. 
So now, instead of tell you what that word meant, uh, means, I want to actually show you how this worked from the perspective of the Bible writers. And I want you to hear from some friends of ours at what is called the Bible Project. They put together a ton of incredible videos that explain difficult theological concepts um, in very uh, you know, unique and creative ways. And so I want you to watch this video on what does it mean in the Bible when we read things spoken about the heart, because they only had one word for heart and mind. So let's watch this. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagine that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart, or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart, because from it flows your whole life. Now, the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. 
The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So, as we read in scripture, the heart is the center of thought and spiritual life, and through it, your whole life flows. Which means, in the Old Testament, loving and living for God, which we would say, well, that's your heart and your mind. Loving and living for God was a wholehearted activity. It was your whole self. So, Proverbs 3, 5, where we're told, hey, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It's trusting the Lord with your heart and your mind and your whole life. Like, that's what that means, because they didn't have separate words for both. Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love God with how you live your life, all of you. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you pursue God with all of your being, with all of your life with your thoughts and your emotions. And I, here's why I love this concept, because um, following, Je- following Jesus is not just about knowing stuff. That's not what following Jesus is. It's not just about feeling stuff. It's not just about doing stuff. It literally is about wholeheartedly knowing and loving and living for Jesus Christ. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's mind, heart, whole body. When all of those things come together to to follow Jesus, transformation happens. And I'm just telling you, transformation is what all of us really want. All of us want that. I I bet I could talk to you. We could sit down eye to eye, knee to knee, and I could say, do you want to be the same next year as you are today? And there's not a single person in here that would say, yeah, I want to be the same person. No, why? Because we want transformation. We don't want to be the same tomorrow as we were yesterday. And maybe I'm just speaking for me. I mean, am I the only one? Do you guys want to see transformation in your life? Period. You want to see that? right? Like you want that. Like I want to be better a year from now. I want to be better. I want to be healthier. I want to be happier a year from now. I want to be more content. I want to be more peace-filled a year from now than I am right now. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better leader. We all want transformation. In fact, we want transformation so bad that that is how advertisers get us to buy a bunch of crap, right? Like that's what they use. They use transformation to, to get us into buying stuff that we might not even need. Um, that's the selling point of so many items. Like say, take dieting, take Andro 400 and you will be transformed, right? And then they show you a picture of a skinny guy who once was fat, okay? They show me, I'm the before picture right now. They show another guy that's skinny. We want transformation. So they use transformation to sell it. Cars, drive this car and you will be transformed into Matthew McConaughey. I hate those commercials, those Lincoln commercials, worst commercials ever, like cut it out, people. Wear these clothes and you will be what? Transformed into cool. That never worked for me in high school. It never worked one time, but I tried. Get new golf clubs. You'll have a better life. You'll have a better game. You'll have a happier family from golf clubs. And here's the thing. We know that what they're saying isn't true, don't we? We know it. But we want to be transformed so badly that we're willing to just buy it just in case they're right, right? That's what we do. Well, let me just tell you who wants transformation in your life more than you do. 
is God. He wants your life to be transformed more than you ever dreamed you could have it transformed. He loves you. He wants transformation so badly in your life that he was willing to send his son to earth to die on the cross to pay for your sins so that you might accept him and have the ability to be transformed from the inside out. That's how badly God wants you to be transformed. That's what our statement is, our mission statement is as a church. You want to know what we want for you? Because a lot of places, maybe you're thinking, oh, what do they want from me? All they want is my money. All they want is my time. All they want is this, this, this. Let me just tell you what we want for you because we don't want anything from you. What we want for you is this. We want to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. That's it. That's what we want for you. We want to see you transformed by Jesus Christ and then mobilized. That's our dream for you. That is what I believe God's dream is for you, transformation that you would meet Jesus in such a profound, literal way that you would be transformed into somebody new by him, that you wouldn't be the same tomorrow as you were yesterday. Now, how does God bring about transformation in our lives? I want to give you three steps to transformation. How does, what's the process of transformation, the God's process to transformation? Um, and it's three steps. The first step is confession. The second step is repentance. And the third step is renewal. And I want to talk about all three of those steps, confession, repentance, and then renewal. So let's take the first one, confession. Um, how many of you guys grew up Catholic? All right. Oh, we got a good number of Catholics. Okay. I grew up Catholic. Um, when I was a kid, I went to Catholic church. I did my first communion and then I did my first confession. Any of you guys remember your first confession ever? Were you a kid when that happened? Um, I was so nervous. And for those of you that don't know, in the Catholic church, you have to actually go to a priest, confess your sins, and only he can forgive you for your sins. And so he kind of forgives you when you do that. So I did it one time. I've done that one time in my life. It, 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 I did it. And it was so scary. I was so nervous. I'm like eight years old. I go into this booth. Booth, and there's like a veil, like you can barely see the outline of a dude in the, in the space next to you. And it's just, it's kind of weird because you're eight years old and you're talking to an adult and he's a priest. And so you go in there and they teach you what to say. So, you know, I go in there, I'm eight years old. I go in there and say, like, hey, bless me, father, for I have sinned. And, and it has been um, forever since my last confession. I've never done this before. Like you're supposed to tell him how long it's been. Um, and then he says, well, what did you do? And you're supposed to name what you did and how many times. And so I'm, I'm like seven or eight years old. And so I'm like, well, I, I stuck um, gum under my desk at school twice, two times. I did that two times. Um, I hit my brother Keith in the head three times um, and got in trouble for that. I said a potty word once. And then I, I kicked the cat. Um, uh, I, I lost count because it's, it's a cat, so it deserved it. Um, you know, it's like the whole deal. It's like, but that, I don't know how kids, I don't know how priests don't like laugh at kids' confessionals. But I tell him that, and then he says, well, you're forgiven, and then he gives you your penance. Uh, penance. He says he says something like, say three Our Fathers and throw in a Hail Mary in there and light a candle, and you're forgiven. Like you have to do this stuff to be forgiven. Like after he forgives you, you have to do this stuff. Well, here's the reality of what Scripture teaches. And, and uh, according to God's word, um, we don't need to confess to a priest anymore, to a human priest. That was an old way that confession would work. According to God's word, when Jesus died and rose again, paid for our sins, he purchased forgiveness um, and salvation. And scripture is clear that Jesus then becomes our high priest. Meaning, where do we go to confess? We go to him. He's now our priest. We no longer need a mediator or a mediary in between us and God. Jesus bridged that gap. Now, 
confessing to a priest isn't actually, it's a healthy thing to do. Like it it's can still be done. But scripture just says, hey, Jesus became your high priest when he died on the cross and was, was raised from the dead. So now we confess to him. And this is what scripture tells us what happens when we confess to Jesus. First John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what is confession? Why is that the first step to transformation? Well, at its basis form, confession is being honest. It's truth-telling. It's between you and God. It's being honest about the areas in your life that you've made poor choices. It's being honest about the sins that you've committed. And sins are really, sin is simple. It's choosing your own way over God's way. It's knowing the right thing to do and choosing the wrong thing. It's knowing what God might have you do and choosing to go your own way. That is sin. So confession to Jesus is regularly, daily, searching out our hearts and, and our motives and confessing those, acknowledging the truth to Jesus and acknowledging that something needs to change. That's what confession, that's why it's so powerful. And this is where so many of us get it wrong with God. So many of us, when we sin, we run from God, right? We go, oh my gosh, God is the great whack-a-mole in the sky, and he's just waiting for us to like jump up and bam, knock us back down. And it's like that, so what do we do? We run from him when really God says, run to me when you sin. Run to me, run to me, run to me. Don't run away, come to me, because through Jesus, I will forgive you and clean you and purify you. Because here's the news flash. God already knows what you've done. He's not going, oh, are you kidding me? You know, he's not doing that. He's not going, what? You did that? No, he knows. He already knows you're not going to surprise him. You're not going to fool him. So when we confess, you realize we're telling God something that we've already, that he already knows we've done. So we're acknowledging before him. We're truth telling. But it's not just confessing our sins. It's also in a relationship with God, which is what he wants. It's actually confessing our fears to him as well. It's going, God, I will go anywhere in the world. And then God says, well, go invite your neighbor to church. And you're like, God, I said anywhere in the world, not my neighbor, not my neighbor, anywhere in the world. Like, I don't want to do that. God, I'm scared to share my faith. God, I'm, I'm scared to make a stand for you. I, God, I confess, I care more about what people think about me than, 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 than obeying you. I confess, I don't really believe you like me. I, I really believe you. I think you're angry at me, actually. I confess, I really don't trust you to take care of me. And, and so I struggle to put my trust in you because confession is a place of vulnerability. And I want you to hear that. Confession is a place of vulnerability. Now, here's the problem. Us guys, we don't like vulnerability, do me. In fact, I'm, I did a little poll in the last service, and I'll tell you the, the results of it um, after this one. Um, but how, how many guys in here, you would just say, if you'd get, I love vulnerability. I love it. Any, any, any vulnerability-loving guys in here? Okay, um, no, there's none in here. There was one in the last service. There was one guy that just said, I love being vulnerable. And I'm like, come give me a hug, man. It was kind of one of those moments. But it's really one of those things. A lot of us guys, this is why we struggle with confession and owning up to what we've done, because it requires vulnerability, but here's what you need to know about being vulnerable. When I deny myself vulnerability with God, I deny myself connection with God. When I deny myself vulnerability with God, I deny myself an actual connection with him, which is also true in our relationships. If, if I deny myself vulnerability with others, I deny myself connection with them. It's just a reality of confession. It requires a vulnerability that many of us, especially men, just don't want to give. 
So that's an area we struggle in. Well, that doesn't change what happens when we do it. Let's put that verse back up, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we confess, he is, what is that word? If we confess, he is faithful. And he is faithful to do what? Forgive us. God says, you confess, I am faithful. I will forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness, which means there's something about confession that lightens the load. There's something about confession that lifts our spirits. There's something about confession that allows us to get it off of our chest and hand it over to God. But there's also another piece of it. It is ownership of our actions. It's telling the truth before God. It's admitting our need for salvation and, and, and forgiveness. So it mends the relationship between us and God, and it lightens the burden that, burden that we carry. And I will just tell you this. I think if you run to God, if you run to God when you sin instead of away, you will be blown away at the response you get when you get to him. So transformation in your life, if you want to be transformed, if you want to be different tomorrow than you were yesterday, if you want to be different next year than, than you are right this moment, it starts with confession, going to God and asking for forgiveness on a daily basis, just confession, being honest and going to God and owning the decisions that you're making. Now, it doesn't stop there. There's a second step to transformation, and that is repentance. What does it mean to repent? And it's a church word, and I'm sure you've heard it. Well, I want to talk about that. You find out what repentance is in Ezekiel 18, verse 30. Therefore, I will judge each of you, O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the sovereign Lord. Repent and turn from your sin. Don't let those sins destroy you. Put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. So what does repent means? It means turning from your sin and turning back to God. So it's, it's going, I'm going to confess what I'm doing over here and I'm going to repent, which means what? I'm going to put it behind me. I'm putting it behind me and I'm heading back to God. That is what repenting is. It's a 180 of your life. It's different than confession. Confession is just saying, yeah, I did that. Repenting is going and I'm not doing it anymore and going this way. That's the difference between the two. That's why many of us confess and fewer of us repent. Many of us confess because it's just acknowledging that what I've done is wrong and asking for forgiveness, getting it off our chest. But repentance is then turning your life wholeheartedly away and putting your rebellion from God behind you. And why fewer of us repent is because it means something different than confession. It's like when we repent, it means giving up our pet sins. It means giving up the areas of our life that we know we're doing wrong and we just keep doing it. We go get our confession. We, we confess and get our forgiveness from God, but we're not really interested in changing it. We're not really interested in repenting. It's giving up our pet sins. It means turning away from certain friends. It means missing out on certain parties. It means changing the way that you speak. It means losing a bit of your reputation. It means living for God and not yourself. It means forgiving those that have hurt me. It means attempting to live with purity in your life. It means parenting differently, being obscenely generous. That's, that's what repenting it means. That's what it means living for God. It's having full integrity at all times, journeying daily towards being a godly man or a godly woman. And I will just tell you, it is not easy repenting. But when you confess your sins and then turn from those, when you turn towards God, you find something really surprising. 
Romans 2, 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And I'm just telling you, this is the opposite of what most people think God is like. Many of us, we think that God is at war with us because of our sin. It literally is. He is going to knock you back the moment you screw up. So what do we do? We just run because we don't want him to know, even though he already knows. And we just wait for him to catch up with us. And it's like, no, one of, one of us, we think that, no, God wants to just pound us because we've done wrong. But the opposite is actually true. He's kind. He's tolerant. He's patiently waiting for the day that you turn back to him so that you can experience his kindness. Because what is his kindness intended to do? It is to turn us to repentance. Because I will tell you, God loves you no matter what. And some of you, that's why you're here. Because you need to hear that sentence that God loves you no matter what. And you need to start believing that. And you need to start living as if that's true. See, when you're loved when you're good, it feels great. When you're loved when you're bad, that's life-changing. That'll change your life. And I'm just telling you, when you repent, when we repent, it allows God to do something that he longs to do for every single one of us in this room, and that is bless you. Acts 3, 19 and 20, now repent of your sins and turn to God. Confess, turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. And this is something that's so important about repentance. God's blessings are tied to repentance. So get this, while God's love is unconditional for you, God's salvation is a free gift. All you have to do is accept it. You get it for believing, but his blessings are conditional. They have always been, the Bible is full of statements say, if you will do this, then I will respond there. There are so many times where it is, it is revealed. Repentance leads to blessing. Obedience unlocks blessing. I've always said it. Obedience precedes blessing 100% of the time. You want God's blessings, obey. It's in black and white. It's in red and white. Like, it's, it's like it's, it's in scripture. And I'll tell you this. Most Christians think repenting is a one-time thing. But I'll tell you, it is ongoing. It is a regular daily thing. Why? Because we're constantly lulled and drawn off course by Satan. His whole mission is to get you off track from living for God. He's a master at that. He's a master deceiver, and he will get you to buy into the lie at all times. And let me just tell you something. When you confess your sins, just in case you wonder um, what happens then, it's very clear in Scripture that God says, I'm going to throw them as far as the east is from the west. How far apart is that? infinite apart, like they're just gone. Like God's not going to hold them over you. God's not going, oh yeah, you got to, you got to ask forgiveness like 20 times for that one. Okay. It's a 20, that's a ask forgiveness 20 times until I forgive you. No, it's like you say, forgive God. Will you forgive me? It's gone. It's like the next time you go, God, forgive me for that thing. I asked for forgiveness yesterday. God's going, what are you talking about? What? Not come to mind. Now, will you have to pay consequences for some of the things we do? Yes. But as far as forgiveness goes, God just says it's gone. I paid for that on the cross. So when we repent, we're turning away from that. 
And so God's transformation starts with confessing that God, to God that, that your sin, acknowledging that things need to change. Repenting is doing a 180 turn away from your sin back towards God. And those two lead to the third step of true heart and mind transformation, trans, not transportation, transformation. Um, and that is renewal. It's renewal. And I'll just tell you, one of my favorite verses about life change is written by one of the leaders of the first church movement, the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. Um, you are sitting in this church in large part due to the work of the Apostle Paul um, back uh, in, in the time of Jesus. Um, he actually brought the church um, to, to Rome and surrounding countries that eventually brought the church here to the West. Um, and so, so he wrote a majority of the New Testament, Romans 12 too. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, what's that word? Transform you. You guys did not say that with enough gusto, okay? We're just going to do this again. This is a big word. You have to hear this word. Um, don't copy the behavior and customs of this word, but let God, this world, but let God transform you into what? A new person. How? By changing the way you think. Other translations say by the renewing of your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What Paul is teaching is saying, don't live like everybody else. Don't chase after what everybody else chases after. Don't see the world and people and God like everybody else does, but be transformed. Let God transform you by allowing him to renew your mind, changing the way you think. Let him change you from inside out. Let him forgive you of your sins. Let him change the direction of your life and transform the way you think. It is literally an exchange of my truth for the truth. It is an exchange of my truth, the way I see the world, the way everybody else sees the world, for the truth of Jesus Christ. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul describes people living a worldly life, living like everybody else. He says in Romans 1.25, he says, they, people that are living that way, exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they bought into it so much that they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. That is so powerful. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, which means, and then they started doing what? Worshiping the created. Worshiping things that weren't God rather than the creator. So what happens when we exchange the truth back? What happens when we exchange my truth for the truth of God? What happens when we follow the steps of transformation? We confess, we repent and turn, and then we allow God to renew the way we think and see the world. Um, rather than describe this, I want, to, I want you to hear what it's like going through that process from um, someone who lived it. Um, I want to show you the story of a, of a man named Daryl. Uh, we had a meeting this last week. We were watching one of our Alpha videos. Alpha is a course that we do to help people understand what faith means and ask all kinds of questions about how the Bible works and, and who God is and how we can interact with him. It's a really cool class. Uh, but as we were watching it on Thursday, um, I saw this story and I went, that's it. He tells a story in about five minutes of walking through all three steps of transformation. And I want you to hear from him before we do that. Ushers, if you guys could come on down, we're going to receive our offering right now. Um, and for those of you that are new, um, you're here for the first time, please leave your wallets in your pocket. Um, we're just grateful that you're here. This service is our gift to you. Um, for those of you that call Kensington home, this is literally a moment where we just say thank you to God for the blessing that you've given me and the way that you have taken care of me. And so we give back to him a, a portion of what he's given to us like he asked us to. And so for those of you that support us on a regular basis, thank you for that. Um, we are so grateful for you that you continue to 
to allow us to stay on mission and that we're on mission as a church community. And then while we're doing that, I want you to hear from Daryl. So let's listen to his story. So I'm often asked, why did you get involved with crime? I say it wasn't a conscious decision. I didn't see the careers lady at school and say, there's a course you can do in armed robbery. It was just there. It was all around us. And it all started with weed and drinking, cannabis, the usual stuff. Um, we used to steal badges off expensive cars and swap them like trading cards. And it just progressed to the entire car. And I got involved with the people who were really pulling all the strings. So we went up to this guy's house who owed them a few hundred pounds. It was, it was nothing to them. But the problem was he'd been going around telling everybody that he wasn't going to pay it. So they had to set an example. So they got this guy, he was in his garden, his little lad was there. So he got out of the car, grabbed this bloke, put him in the car, sat between us. And he drove up to uh, what's called Niner's Quarry and uh, pulled a petrol strimmer out of the boot of the car, gave it to me and said, do his feet. So strimmed his feet, just lacerated his feet and this was my initiation so that just moved on and on and on cut a long story short Leeds Crown Court courtroom number three he handed me down seven and a half years and I just thought to myself that's it gloves are off if I'm gonna be bad I'm gonna be the best kind of bad I can possibly be because I got moved from prison to prison to prison put on category A maximum security because of my behavior and there's this lad coming round another inmate he comes up to me and he says uh, do you want to go on an alpha course no idea what he was talking about. I said, look, get out my face, sunshine, before I slap you. I thought no more of it. And next day, and then this kid's coming around with this clipboard again. So I'm just waiting for this kid to get within slapping range. And he must have sensed something wasn't right because he blurted something out really quickly. He went, you get Wednesday afternoon at a bang up and get free coffee and you get free biscuits. (gasps) All right, I'll see you on Wednesday. And we just started giving a hard time, a really hard time. The thing that stopped me, it wasn't what they said because I wasn't really listening. But it was how they did it. They came back at me with love and compassion every single time. So I sat there on my bunk and I said the first real prayer I'd ever said in my life. I didn't know if I was doing it right or not. But the gist of it was, God, I need you to take away the anger, the violence, the hate. I need you to take away the addictions, which I've tried to fight and I just lose every time. And if you do that for me, I will live the rest of my life for you. But the next morning, I woke up, as I always had done. Rolled over to grab the smoke, as I always had done. But I couldn't touch it. Everything about it, the look, the thought, the smell, everything, made me want to be sick. And I knew what I had to do, so I went and got my little stash, and I put it straight out the cell window. And as soon as they'd gone, I started to feel a bit better. Started to calm down a little bit. But I was still freaking out. So I just said to myself, Daryl, calm down. Go get a wash, go get a shave. And as I started to get a wash, I looked in the mirror, and just stopped dead because I didn't recognize my own reflection. I was like, that guy's smiling. Not just smiling, that guy's beaming. And I noticed I didn't just look different, I felt different. Everything had gone. It was as if someone had unscrewed the top of my head and just poured freezing cold water in and everything had been just washed out clean. So the chaplain comes onto the wing and I just told him absolutely everything. And he said, the man that went to bed last night is not the same man that's standing here this morning. You're a new creation. And that was it. I said, no more. No more fighting. No more drugs. No more nothing. If you owe me anything, forget it. If you're holding anything of mine, keep it. I don't want it. I'm done. I'm finished. Jesus has saved me. And then when it came time for my release, I knew I was going to go into full-time ministry. 
Reverend Mark Finch, JP, a magistrate, and he said, would you consider coming to Roncon near Liverpool? We've got a new church plant, we're just getting going, there's a big problem with young people and gangs and drugs, would you come? I knew it was the right place to go. So he picked me up from the gates on the morning of my release. He took me to his house, not a house, his home. And his eldest is his daughter, Rebecca, who is now my wife and the mother to my two amazing children, Benjamin and Lydia Grace. My life just couldn't look more different than what it is now. What you just watched is you watched a story with all three steps of transformation in it. Did you see them? You see them? You had confession. What do you say, God, what I need you to take away? I need you to take away anger, hate, violence, and addiction. Did you hear him say that? What you do is just confessing out loud, this is what I've done. I want you to take those away. And what does he say? He, he says in, in repentance, he says, if you will do that, I will live the rest of my life for you. If you will take those away, this confession that I'm making, if you will take those away, I will 180 my life. And the next morning, what happens? Renewal. Overnight, God changed the way he thought. Overnight, God changed the way he saw the world. And then all of a sudden, what does he learn? He finds out God's will for his life. And what, you know, I don't want to say, oh, well, then, you know, if you do all those steps, you're going to go into full-time ministry. That's what God wanted him to do. But I will just tell you, there is nothing more that God wants to do in your life and to your life than transform you, than transform you into a new person. He wants to change the way you see the world and the way you see yourself and hope for tomorrow. And I'll just tell you how he wants to change you. He wants to change the way you think and the way you see the world. He wants to change what you see as an obstacle. He wants to change it into seeing it as an opportunity to grow. He wants to change how you see what you see as a trial in your life. He wants to change it to you seeing it as training for his purposes. He wants to change what you see as a vice in your life into what you see as a victory in Christ as he changes your life. He wants, you to, he wants to change what you see as a mess up, a screw up, and someone unworthy of God's love, which is what many of us see when we look in the mirror. He wants to change that to you seeing yourself as a child of the King of Kings. He wants to change the regret and sorrow that you live with because of your past and replace it with a contentedness and a peace because of the forgiveness of your sins. He wants to change your outlook on life from me, me, me to how can I serve God through serving other people. He wants to change your cup from empty to overflowing. He wants to change your anxiety-filled life to a joy-filled life because you now see what God is doing in and around your life in a new way. Do any of you want any of those things? Do you want them? I don't know. Do you? Yeah, right? Wouldn't you love transformation like that that changes the way you think that is what God offers as far as transforming us? And I love how the Apostle Paul describes our internal war between our head and our hearts and the answer to it. Romans 7, 21 through 25. He says, I've discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And he's just saying, my mind and my heart rarely agree, and I do things I know I shouldn't. This power in me makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he says, thank God 
there is an answer. And the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And let me just tell you, you cannot be transformed without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can't do it. I loved how Daryl described his conversation. If you will take these away, why? Because he said it because I've been trying and I can't. I cannot say no to the addiction. I cannot say no to the anger. I cannot say no to the violence. I cannot say no to the hate. I am, I am powerless against it. So if you, God, your power will help me and take that away. And he was just acknowledging what is true about all of us. You cannot have your mind and heart connected and changed without God's help and God's guidance. You need access to his power, and you access that power through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so let me just say this to you. Maybe you're here today, and you're a Christian, and you have drifted, and you've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. You have begun to believe that you can find all the things you're longing for, hope, happiness, pleasure, joy. You've, you have gotten to believe that you can get it from the created rather than the creator, and you've just drifted. Some of the choices that you're making are not in alignment with what you know God wants of you. And so maybe today is, is, is a day of transformation for you where you confess, repent, and turn from that. And you experience renewal. And I'll just tell you, there's not a better day than today to experience all three of those. Maybe that's where you're at, or maybe um, you're here today and you're ready to cross the line of faith for the first time and you want to be transformed. You want to become a Christian, begin a relationship with Jesus. And I'll just say this, if that is you, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. And so would every one of you just bow your head and close your eyes with me. You just do that all in the room. And, and I just want to say, if that is you and you want to be transformed by Jesus today, I want to ask you to just repeat after me. You don't have to say it out loud just from your heart to God and just kind of borrow my words. God, I want to thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I place my faith and my trust in him. I pray that you'll forgive me of my sins. And I pray that you will give me the gift of Help me face all the challenges I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. And Father, if there's anyone in this room that just prayed that prayer, Lord, I pray that you would just help them to experience your tangible presence right now in their soul. Bring a newness, a freshness, a renewal this moment. Help them to lead a new life from here forward. And God, for those in here that have been following you for a while, and, and if they're honest, their faith is just tired, maybe they've exchanged the truth about you for a lie, and to this morning, they're just, they've realized they're, 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 they're confessing that, seeing that. Lord, I pray right now for those of us in the room that are just ready to repent, God, I pray that you would just meet them right where they're at and bring that newness, that freshness, that renewal right where they're sitting right now. God, you have called us to live in relationship with you step by step, arm in arm, and you give us the power to do that, Lord. So would you give those of us in the room that need to do that your power right now to make those changes? And God, we thank you 
in advance for what you're doing, what you will do. We thank you for what you have done in sending your son, Jesus, to love us and die on the cross for us and be raised to new life in your holy name.